You want to achieve great things? You want to reach the next level? Well, so does every other entrepreneur. You know what that means? You have to take every competitive advantage possible. Welcome to Let's Talk Business, the show where we're going to show you how to create this competitive advantage by being more productive and sharing the secrets of the world's top performers. I'm your host, Kenny Aronson, and I think it's time to get down to business. Without any further ado, I would like to introduce Amanda Hoffman. Hi, Amanda. How are you doing today? Hi, Ken. I'm doing well. And yourself? Oh, you know, I can't complain. So today I just figured we'd have a a quick conversation about some of the things that you're doing with your business. And so I guess the best place to start is, why don't you just tell us a little bit about yourself, what you do, and maybe what some of your dreams are. Okay, yeah. So I'm a multi-passionate entrepreneur and an avid learner and an advocate for personal accountability and emotional intelligence. And so I love learning about the brain, how we communicate personality styles and habits. Um, And I started becoming, fascinated with this idea of self-improvement when I was 13 um, because I lived on my own for the first time at that point and then I moved um, over 20 times within the next decade and so you really had to learn I really had to learn how to be resilient in oh, that. Wow. Um, <laughs> and kind of take charge of my own life and you know being surrounded by so many people who had you know re- kind of an easy life or like a real opportunity to grow and didn't take advantage of that versus me and many people who were worse off than me who needed to kind of find those opportunities for themselves. It taught me a lot about being efficient and being intentional with your time and intentional with how you treat yourself and the world around you. So I now I teach other people how to do that. And so what I do is I work directly with entrepreneurs and small business owners to help them to streamline, simplify, and scale their business. And a big piece of that really is getting in the mindset of, you know, growth, but also your own capabilities. I think that that limits a lot of people and getting everyone kind of on the same page of, you know, you can go wherever you want to go. You're only limited by your own self-belief. Um, it's really a tool that I help business owners with. That's very cool. I know that one of the things we really focus on here at the DaVinci Mindset podcast is overcoming your limitations and becoming a better version of yourself. And what you said about, you know, you being really interested in the brain and, and self-development you know, I think that makes you like a perfect guest for the podcast because that's what we're all about, you know, understanding the brain and everything. So why do you think that time management and efficiency, why why do you think these are so important for people out there? Well, I think that, I mean, time is our only, literally our only non-renewable resource. We all have the same, you know, amount of time in a day, but how we use them is vastly different. And you know, you see people all over the world who are high performers, who are doing well, who are achieving their dreams and doing so much more than what most of us think is, we're capable of. But the reality is, you know, 99% of those people who are high performers did not start out with, you know, a silver spoon in their mouth and everything handed to them. They, they learned and they worked to manage their time. And that's what really gives you control over everything, not just, you know, what you're doing in your job, but also it gives you control over your money, over your emotions, your stress levels, your health. I mean, how you manage your time determines where you're going to go in your career and how you're going to build your family and what you're going to do with your life. And so if you don't prioritize that, then everything else just kind of happens as it happens. And you're kind of just along the ride for life as opposed to directing the train. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. So I'm curious, uh, would, would you be able to give us more details about, you know, the journey of you learning how to better manage your time? 
Yeah, yeah. So actually, um, when I was 13, it was the first time I lived in a shelter. My mom had kicked me out, and I had had some issues growing up. And um, it was kind of the best and worst thing that happened to me at the time, because, you know, living on your own when you're that young is really terrifying. But on the other hand, you, it's kind of all or nothing. You have to figure out how to make your time work. And I used to get up and take a bus at four o'clock in the morning so that I could make it to school by nine. Yeah, that was two towns away because there were no buses that were direct. And so I would walk to the bus and then I'd ride two different buses and then I'd take another, I'd walk a mile to school. Oh my and God. that meant that I missed, I used to, I used to miss first period and I used to miss last period. And so I realized that if I didn't take advantage of that time that I spent on the bus, my years, you know, in school were just going to fly by with me basically traveling you know, just to be able to go to school. And I almost failed ninth grade, actually, even as a high performer, because I was missing so much school. And I realized after that, that I had to teach myself. And it was such an eye opening thing, because even though it was hard to teach myself at first, it's so much easier now. And I learned that like, you can bounce back from anything. First of all, like life happens, it's going to happen. Yeah, definitely. Um, and second of all, you can learn anything you know, as the limitations that you place on yourself in terms of like what you are capable of are self-imposed. And so the sooner that everyone can like realize that and realize that with very few exceptions, you can go anywhere you want to go. You just have to get into the right frame of mind and commit to teaching yourself. I, I think that's very inspiring that, you know, everything that you went through and how you learned that. And, you know, I'm, I'm a firm believer that you know, the mistakes or, or the tragedies in life, you know, at the time, they can be tough to go through. But I think in the end, they definitely make you a, a much stronger person overall, because you learn how to manage your time, you learn how to teach yourself complex subjects and, and how to accomplish great things. And I think that's wonderful that you're doing that. And it's going to be inspirational for many people out there who might be going through tough times themselves. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think, you know, taking responsibility for whatever situation you're in, like, we're all victimized at times throughout life. I'm not discounting that. But staying in that victim mentality long term is what's going to prohibit you. It's not going to give anyone else, you know, anything for kind of succeeding and victimizing you. But growing out of that and moving forward and learning from those mistakes or learning from the things that happen to you, it's just going to make you so much stronger, like you said. I actually, I heard, I heard a speaker once who said um, that her childhood was her training ground. And I have stuck with that ever since <laughs> because I was like, I would never put my kids through what I went through. But at the same time, I don't regret it at all. Because as hard as it was when I was in it now, you know, when something happens, people are, around me are always like, Oh, my goodness, how do you deal with that? And I'm like, please, this is nothing. <laughs> you know, like, life could be so much worse. And you, it, it inspires you to be grateful for everything that you have to. Yeah, it really puts it into perspective. Like, I might think that I'm going through through something tough, but that's nothing compared to the to the struggle that you went through. And I think that's great. Because if you can overcome that, you know, I, th I think you can overcome anything. So I'm curious about, you know, when your mom kicked you out when you were 13. Where, where did you live at that point? Well, first, I lived with a friend. Um, I had just you know, I all, I came home one day from school and all my stuff was in garbage bags on the porch. And so um, I just kind of called my best friend, you know, what every 13 year old does. And I went and lived with her. And then um, a guidance counselor at school found out that I was living with her about a month into it and put me in a shelter. Um, and then when I was living in the shelter, I found out I was half adopted. And so all of a sudden I had a whole other side of my family that I didn't even know. Um, and so I moved between the shelter to, I lived on the streets for a little bit. I lived in Arizona for a little bit. I lived with my suddenly, 
now biological dad that I didn't know existed. I lived with multiple grandparents. And so I just kind of kept bouncing around um, trying to find, I don't know, <laughs> you know, stability really. Um, but finding myself too and just kind of grounding myself in, you know, wherever I am and, and not having to rely on the stability of anyone else. Yeah, I think that it's amazing to hear about the the mindset that you had where you allowed where you allowed yourself to grow and that that really proves the point that it's all about mindset. You can either have a negative mindset and dwell on the past or dwell on your situation and be unhappy about it or you can have a positive mindset and realize, yeah, this this still sucks, but you know, I'm going to move forward and try to grow as a person. What do you think? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, there were so many people, especially in the shelter, that was probably one of the scariest things I went through because I was surrounded by so many people who, so many girls who were also my age, but had been through some worse, some not as bad as what I had been through. And almost every one of them, because it's our natural instinct, was really dwelling on the fact that they were there and everything was terrible. And, you know, just the way that your brain works, we tend to remember the bad stuff more than we remember the good stuff if we don't make it intentional to remember that stuff. And so when I was there, I was like, you know, this is, you guys are not helping. This is worse, you know, because you're so angry all the time. And so I really relied a lot on like comedians like Robin Williams to just keep me cheered up. And then that would kind of come through in my own personality. And I even now, like I'll do like a quote from Aladdin from the genie. And I'm like, Robin's always been on my shoulder, making me laugh, cheering Aww. me up. And, you know, it could be worse. It could be so much worse. And then living on the streets, it was the same thing. It wasn't you know, one first being in the shelter, seeing everyone else's perspective, and then being on the street and having to do things that, you know, I might not be proud to do today. But at the time, I was 14. And, you know, I had to kind of give myself a break. If you're sleeping on a park bench, it's a lot different of a perspective than someone who's like, I'm fighting with my parents every day. It's like, yeah, well, you have a home. (laughs) Yeah, that's that's so true. I, I completely agree. So it's not, you know, I, I try to never like minimize people's experience in that, you know, oh, just because you're not going through something as terrible as what someone else's, that makes your experience not valid. But I always also keep it in mind that at least it's some perspective to know that you feel like you're at a rock bottom and that emotion is real. But what you do about it is really what decides how you move forward, not, you know, the fact that you feel like you're at rock bottom. Yeah, I, I completely see what you're saying. And I think that's it's amazing that you went through all this and everyone out there is going to experience you know, whether they make mistakes or there's tragedies in life, bad events, you have a bad day and you can't really control those things. But what you can control is your reaction to those events. And you gotta, you gotta focus on the things. Yeah. You gotta focus on the things that you can control instead of what you can't control. And I think that's the key. Oh yeah, absolutely. And you know, sometimes that thing you can control might be so small. It might be like, well, I can fold my laundry really well. You know, like, like that might be the highlight of your morning, but just the fact that you're focusing on the fact that you have clothes, you have clean clothes, this is something you can do really well. It's such a small thing in the grand scheme of everything that we're going through, but it's like if you just at least have one little piece at a time, it becomes easier to recognize those pieces. Yeah, it's all about gratitude, I think, you know, controlling what you can do that keeps you focused and then controlling your, your perspective about things. So putting it into, putting it into perspective being gracious for everything. So before we were talking a lot about how you're, you're, you're very involved with time management and efficiency. So typically for people that you see around you, whether they're entrepreneurs, students, or professionals, what's the biggest mistake that you see people make in time management? Uh, well, you know, really two things. One would be 
underestimating the value of their time and misunderstanding the idea of multitasking. So I'll, I'll talk about each of those. The underestimating the value of your time is really, we kind of think that in order to get something done, we need to have these huge blocks of time. You know, I have so many people who have told me like, oh, I, I wanna write a book or I wanna start a business. And these seem like these you know, lofty goals, and they are. They certainly take work, I don't discount that. But you can get so much done in an hour a day. You can get so much done in the 15 minutes that you have in between appointments. And the problem is that most people think like, oh, I'll make those phone calls when I have time for them. Well, you're not going to have time for them. You have to schedule them in. You have to put them on your calendar. You have to take those tasks and equate them to time or they're not going to get done. And that includes not just what you need to do in your job or what you need to do around your house or what you need to do with your family, but also what you want to do. You need to schedule your fun time. You need to schedule, you know, it seems like, you know, almost too much to be scheduling all of that. But if you don't put those blocks in your calendar, they don't happen. That totally makes sense. So I think that, yeah, you can keep going. Sorry. No, <laughs> no go ahead. Okay. So I was just going to say that one of the things I definitely want to start doing more of is creating a more structured calendar because what I did in the past throughout a lot of this year is every morning I would create a set list of everything that I wanted to do for the day. So I kind of broke it down and organized and I found that to really help me to get organized and figure out how do I stop procrastinating and get done what I need to get done. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think the hard part about listing what you do in a day, and I've done that too, I've done so many different ways to kind of structure my time to see what works best for me. The hard part about going based on a to-do list or even assigning a to-do list per day is that it doesn't always block out the time that you really need for a task. And it doesn't give you any kind of perception when you say like, oh, I think this, this meeting's going to take an hour, but it ends up taking an hour and a half. Now you have to bump something else. And going forward, you don't have any way to kind of mark and say, this took a lot longer than I anticipated. So that way, next time when you schedule it, it's already kind of that visual reminder on your calendar. Yeah, that totally makes sense. So speaking of, you know, did, are there any tools or anything that you highly recommend for efficiency and time management? Definitely calendar blocking. And I would say calendar blocking and sleep. <laughs> um, so many people, oh, this is, so I, I literally just grind my teeth when my clients say this to me. They will say, I can sleep when I'm dead. And I'm like, well, good luck with that, you know, because. Yeah, yeah, sleep is super stay, important. Exactly. And, and if you don't build it into your schedule as your number one priority, it affects every piece of your life. And you might not think that it does. You know, a lot of people are so used to functioning on not enough sleep or maybe not good quality sleep or, you know, whatever the circumstances are that they just get used to operating at that level. But I will tell you, if you take one week, just one week where you schedule your sleep every single night and you maintain a bedtime and you get into a morning routine that doesn't involve your devices, your life will change. <laughs> and all of a sudden you'll be like how did I ever function at that level because not getting enough sleep means you know it's not just being tired which you might not notice right away but it's you know you're not as attentive when you're driving so you're putting other people at risk you're more on edge in your meetings and dealing with your family and you don't enjoy things as much because really your body is exhausted and it's just kind of compensating you end up overeating you don't feel like exercising so all of those healthy habits that support you in addition to good sleep kind of end up just falling to the wayside even things like meditating you know taking 10 minutes to meditate is harder when you're tired because who wants to sit still to begin with you know <laughs> yeah, and makes it way harder <laughs> right you're telling your brain to quiet down and it's like i want to sleep i'll quiet down for that <laughs> <laughs> you're just gonna fall asleep while you're trying to meditate that's not what you want 
Yeah, exactly. I have, I have people tell me, you know, oh, I laid down to meditate and I fell asleep. And I'm like, well, number one, you're not getting enough sleep. Number two, you probably shouldn't lay down. <laughs> but, you know, it, it, those are really the two things. It's blocking everything out in your calendar and, and significantly blocking it out. So, like, if I've got a meeting from 11 to 1, then I will put in a buffer beforehand to get ready for the meeting, a buffer to transfer to travel to the meeting and then a buffer afterwards too to kind of decompress because even though that meeting might only be two hours the time to prepare and to actually process what you're doing in a in a way that you feel like you can move forward is going to take much longer than that and most people don't put in the time for that and so then they'll schedule meetings back to back even if it's in the same location back to back meetings and then realize at the end of the day that they didn't really process all of that and now they've got this massive to-do list because they just figured they'd wait until the end of all the meetings you know, so now that meeting time that you allotted isn't really enough. And now the next day you have to do all of this time to process all the meetings. And then you have to catch up because now you're delayed because you processed the meetings. And it just is a snowball. It just keeps going. <laughs> yeah, that's so true. And I want to I want to reinforce the statement that you just made a few minutes ago about the importance of sleep. I don't think that we can, you know, overstate the importance of sleep at all, because it's so important to your brain. If you want to be at your highest potential, if you want to be able to think creatively and learn effectively, you have to make sure you get enough yeah, sleep. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and everyone's body is different. So, But as I was saying, the importance of sleep cannot be overstated enough. If you want to be able to perform at the highest level, you got to make sure you're giving your brain enough rest. Because if you don't give it enough rest, guess what starts to happen? Toxins start to build up in your brain. And guess how that affects your memory, your learning, and your creativity? It all goes downhill. And if you're performing at the highest level, these three aspects of your mind are extremely important. Imagine if you're the CEO of a company and you started thinking less creatively and you couldn't learn as fast. Isn't the performance of your company going to suffer? That's the importance of sleep, making sure that you're staying at the tip top performance. So speaking of learning, I, I want to segue that into the next question. So, you know, learning is important. Time management is important. But how do we kind of mix the two? How do you think that we can make learning more efficient? I think, you know, I, I'm going to go back a little bit too, because I mentioned multitasking and kind of misunderstanding the idea of multitasking. So yeah. I don't know if you know, if you know, but the term multitasking actually didn't become popular until computers were invented. And it, it literally references, you know, a computer processing where there a computer is going from one task to another. It's not actually handling multitasks at the same time. And this just kind of came into our colloquialisms and into our language and now people use it as you know as if they can do this at the same time but our brain really can't and the thing is it can to an extent and that's why people are so confused so for example you can't listen to music and write a book at the same time it just you can do it but it won't be as good you won't write as creatively you won't be as efficient now if you have something like classical music playing in the background maybe because that activates different centers in your brain yeah that's what but i do if you yeah, if you have something that, you know, has lyrics that you want to dance along, that you want to sing along, while that has certainly has a place in life, while you're trying to write, while you're trying to learn, you know, anything that requires your brain to really think is not going to happen as efficiently. And so 
multitasking hands down is going to be the way that I recommend we learn more only in the sense that if you do two things at the same time that don't require your brain to be doing the same thing it's possible so for example when every day when I take my dog for a run I am always listening to podcasts or audiobooks or you know if I'm on the train or if I'm you know heading to an appointment and some people can't drive and do it at the same time so I'll put that out there <laughs> but during your commute you know so many people have wasted time you know, that it's like an hour long commute and, and they don't use that time and you can. Um, and the other way I would say too, is also really emphasizing cross learning. So if you know that you're an auditory learner, reading a book is not going to be the most effective way to read and actually and to learn, I should say, actually reading is considered an auditory form of learning because you're technically reading to yourself in your head. But because it's so visual, many people who are auditory learners find that it's not as efficient. However, you can watch so many videos today online to learn how to do just about anything. And so one of my favorite methods when I need to learn a book like inside and out, I will get the audiobook and I will get the Kindle version and I'll read along while I'm listening to it. Yeah, it just re-emphasizes it. And then following it up, that's also very important. Following up anything that you learn, even if it's only 10 minutes or five minutes to sit down and recap, every single conference that I go to after, you know, after every session, if I can, but if not every evening, I'll take 20, 30 minutes to sit down and just write down, like, what did I learn today that I really need to take into my business? What did I learn that's going to really, you know, affect a client? And this has helped me to remember things so much easier because I don't have to go back and go through all of my notes and try to remember all of it. I just have to remember what I really emphasized. Yeah, that, that definitely makes a lot of sense because if you want to grow in terms of your potential, your mind or your business, there's two sides to it. First is the learning and second is the application of that learning. So writing it down and, you know, kind of implementing it into your business. And I think the speed of implementation is already extremely important. And I really like what you said about multitasking, where you, where you walk the dogs and you listen to a podcast, because that's something that I also started doing over the last year and it helps so much. So over the summer, I would go on daily walks for about an hour at the park. And during that time, I wasn't just sitting there in la la land. I was listening to podcasts. But sometimes I think it's also good to take some time to let your mind kind of wander because that's where you're going to be most creative. So I think, you know, when you're doing that, there's a healthy balance. But you got to make sure that you're, you're thinking during that time as well. And same with driving. I found that to be very efficient. You don't want to, you know, if you're driving two hours every day, find some way to make use of that time. And of course, maybe not everyone can do it as efficiently if you have to hyper-focus on driving. But most people that I know when they're driving, they're basically on autopilot. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, I think you, you made a great point when you said about taking some time to kind of step back and be in our own thoughts too. And so I, I will fill in many of my bigger gaps throughout the day. Like if I, if I, I know I have to clean the kitchen tonight, I'm going to take, you know, two hours to really deep clean the kitchen. Then I am going to listen to something that whole time because that's just too much time for me to feel like I'm not really being productive. But I also really, really rely on meditating and on transitions. So have you heard um, about Brendan Burchard and his um, idea of transitions? I don't believe so. I'm, I'm very interested in hearing about it though. Yeah, so he wrote a book, it came out earlier this year called High Performance Habits. And I really, my favorite thing in there of all has been learning about transitions in a formal way, um, because I've done this for a long time and I didn't really have a way to kind of describe it to people and to kind of call it something. And so basically the idea of a transition is actually carving out five minutes 
maybe more, depending on how long you've been going, but five minutes between every single task. And so if you're sitting at your desk and you've just gotten off a conference call, you don't jump right into your email, even if email is next on your to-do list. You take five minutes to step up, stand up, walk around, get a drink, you know, kind of just refocus and then take a couple of deep breaths before you dive into your email. And you also set an intention when you're going into that too. So, you know, if I, I have 30 minutes carved out for email, I don't just sit down and kind of just jump into it and go through it. I say like, okay, I'm going to work on these emails and I'm going to get as many done as I can by, by 11 o'clock and that's it. You know, so you have that one set intention going into it. And you've given your brain a chance to kind of wind down a little bit from whatever you were just doing. And this really is helpful, not just between events like that, but also coming home. And so I, I have one of my clients who has an hour commute and she tells me I use that commute to really wind down. And I say, that is great. You know, and I, I wouldn't say you don't have to do that, but you could get that hour back for learning. And then you can take 10 minutes when you get home, literally you can park in your driveway and sit there and just take a couple deep breaths, make sure you've got yourself gathered, and then taking that time to transition from driving and working and learning to go home and be with your family will change your relationships almost overnight, just because you're giving your brain a chance to almost reset throughout the day. And it will help you maintain your energy levels too. I love that. that the, the transitions idea, that's, that's very similar, but it kind of builds upon the idea of the Pomodoro effect. Have you ever heard of that? Mm-hmm. I have, yeah. yeah. So for people out there who haven't heard of it or used it before, this is the idea that, you know, if you're learning or you're working, all, all you do is you take about 25 minutes to focus intently on your work, then a five minute break where you let your mind relax. So you either take a walk or you listen to some, some music that you enjoy and then another 25 minutes. And each 25 minute block is called a Pomodoro. And then after mm-hmm. four of these Pomodoros, these 25 minute sessions of focused work, you take a longer break. So about 30 minutes where you're walking around or just relaxing in it and it really helps to keep your mind focused and and so you're learning efficiently because an important part of the learning process or the problem solving process is actually relaxing your mind so that's kind of allowing your you're going into what's called diffuse thinking so it's more of your your subconscious it's it's connecting ideas together with the, with your subconscious memory because you have a lot more data and information in your subconscious memory. And when your mind is relaxed, you're allowing that part of your brain to work and you're allowing it to think creatively, which can really help if you need to solve problems, if you're in engineering or math, or if you're, you're pretty much doing anything. If you come into writer's block, one of the things that I've found to really help when I'm writing, whether it's a, a blog post or a book or something, just when you come into that point where you can't go on, get up, and go take a five minute walk or so and then come back. And typically you'll find that you have many more ideas for what you're writing. What do you think? Yeah, I agree. And another thing for writer's block too, I love speech to text. <laughs> that is hands down one of my best friends when it comes to being productive because there are times where I'm just like, I can't be inside anymore. I can't be sitting at my desk anymore. I need to get some you know, time in the sun but I need to be productive. And I will literally take my dog and we'll go for a couple of miles walking and I will answer emails. I will write blog posts all from my phone, talking into my phone. I might look like a crazy person <laughs> walking around and just talking nonstop. But when I get home, all of a sudden I've got, you know, an hour of kind of me talking into my phone and giving ideas. And I'll tell you, I've never met one person who gets talkers block, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I totally agree. And I think that's a, a very good idea. I don't know why I haven't done that before, but you know, speaking of how you're in efficiency and, and Texas, not yeah, Texas speech and time management and all these different things, 
I think that for writing, that's very efficient because most people, they can talk at about 150 to 200 words per minute. And how fast do you type? Probably between 60 to 100 words per minute. So you can get, you know, double the typing done in an hour. And I think that's a great way to do things with text-to-speech. And, you know, that's, I mean, speech-to-text. And that's something that I think I'm definitely going to experiment with. And, and I thank you for providing that little tidbit, that little tip. Yeah, yeah, no problem. I mean, they, they say that you have up to 3,000 or I think it's like 3,300 thoughts per hour. So it's like, how can we capitalize on that? <laughs> yeah, totally. Well, I mean, what if we could, like, imagine if in the future we have a technology where it, it automatically turns your thoughts into text. So, <laughs> you know, it's not 200 words per minute. It's like 800 words per minute. That's the key. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I thought about that. And then I thought, you know what, I think there might be too many of those passing thoughts that I wouldn't want to see put to paper. <laughs> yeah, yeah, maybe you never know. <laughs> <laughs> Could be dangerous for some people. <laughs> yeah, but I, I mean, like for for books, it might be a little difficult to do that. But I think for blog posts, I think it'd be perfect. Yeah. All right. Well, I think this is a good time to transition over to a quick commercial break. So we'll be we'll be right back after these messages. Life tends to be a journey of ups and downs, but some people are met with more struggle than others. But with the right mindset and determination, some people can turn their hardship into an advantage and they serve as inspiration to others around them. This week, I had the privilege of interviewing my new friend, Amanda Hoffman. Amanda is a perfect example of this. Being kicked out of her house at 13, she was forced to bounce between homes, and even live on the streets for some time. But she didn't let this hardship stop her. After years of adversity, growth, and learning, Amanda has grown two businesses, and now she aims to help other people and women as she helped herself. All right, everyone, welcome back to the Da Vinci Mindset Podcast. Before the break, we were talking a lot about how to be more efficient with your learning. We talked about the Pomodoro Technique, multitasking, where you listen to podcasts or or audiobooks while you're on a walk or while you're driving. The key with time management and efficiency is to figure out, you know, how much time you need to do something and how to make the most of your time. So I, I really want to transition into something a little different with what you're doing. So I want to ask you, what are your key elements for building dreams? Yeah, so for me and for my clients, um, the, the main thing that we work on first is always creating a vision board um, and really talking about where they want to go first and creating a timeline for that and working backwards. And so many people really undervaluable, undervalue the benefits of connecting with ourselves and setting those intentions. And so I do something, I don't know if you've heard of, um, called Morning Pages. Have you ever mm -hmm. used this? Nope, I haven't heard of it. So, it's, it's basically longhand daily journaling, and it was actually, um, it's in the book, The Artist's Way by Julie Cameron, and basically it's three pages every single morning where you just write longhand, pretty much right after you get up. Um, usually I like to get up and wash my face and brush my teeth and have coffee, and then I'm writing right away, and this kind of just stream of consciousness writing really helps me to always stay focused on what I want, and if I don't have something kind of in mind to write about that day, sometimes I literally will write, like, why am I doing this? <laughs> why am I doing this? <laughs> and eventually, it, it branches into, you know, I'm doing this because I wanted my goals, and here are my goals, and even if you just write your goals over and over every day um, in that three-page limit, 
you are reinforcing that to your subconscious exactly like you were talking about earlier in terms of you know relying on your brain to do that for you and yeah actually, that totally makes sense everything that you do in a day 97 percent of it is controlled by your subconscious and so until you change what you're thinking about and put it on a vision board and put it with a deadline and give yourself a timeline and kind of make this big picture goal a reality for you to at least see and kind of interact with on a daily basis. So that way, when you're getting up two hours early to work on it, it's not this unfathomable thing. It's very clear cut. Until you do that, you're not going to move forward. And so that's really what I focus on with my, with my customers. Yeah, I, I really like that idea, especially the, the morning pages and the vision board. But I think morning pages, I, I really like that. So that might be something that I incorporate into, into my morning routine. And, you know, I, I do firmly believe that morning routines can change your life. They're, they're very important. And I think that, you know, over the past week, I might have gotten out of rhythm with mine. And I think it's important for, for me and others to get back into it. And, you know, I mean, what, what's your opinion about morning routines? How important do you think they are? Well, uh, I wouldn't say, okay, I wouldn't say critical in terms of like, mm. if you don't have one, you're never going to succeed. Yeah, um, yeah, of course. <laughs> but I think it helps. Pretty, criti pr pretty critical. <laughs> um, I take my morning and evening routines very seriously. And so that it, it's nice because on one hand, it really goes hand in hand with keeping a sleep schedule. You know, so there comes a point in every day where I'm turning off my computer, but I'm not getting ready for bed. And then when I'm getting ready for bed, it's always the same routine. And it's the same routine when I get up in the morning. And so that helps me to stay grounded every single day. And so in the morning, I'm always, you know, I do my morning pages. I have lemon water. I have coffee. I have um, some time to do yoga, some time to meditate. I run with my dog. And so getting kind of all of those different pieces of my health in line before my day even begins, before I ever look at email, before I ever respond to anything, helps me to stay grounded all day. And it helps me to stay in touch. And then before I go to bed, I kind of just take a minute to recap, like what did I get done today? What could I have done better? What am I really grateful for that happened? And then going into sleep, it's you know kind of like I've already finished the day. I don't feel like I'm still running on the hamster wheel. And so it's kind of that time to process before bed and then process right when you wake up, when you're totally alone with your own subconscious. I think that's a great way to do things because, you know, with a morning routine, you give yourself the opportunity to start off, your <clears throat> start off your day on a good foot and so that you can ensure that you have hopefully the best day possible. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I think so many people find the idea of a morning routine really overwhelming because, okay, for instance, you know, people listening to this right now thinking, oh, I don't have time to do yoga and run and do all of this. And let me tell you, I did not start there. Like, I wasn't like I just woke up one day and all of a sudden my morning routine was perfect and it's still not perfect today. You know, I have a couple of essential habits, which are getting enough sleep, making sure I always like take my makeup off and wash my face um, and making sure I eat well and making sure I do my pages. And those are the four that like, no matter what, I will fit them in. And then everything else, I do it as often as possible because I don't always have, you know, two hours in the morning. It could be a day where I've got back-to-back -back client meetings and I really need that time to do prep work. And me doing yoga in the morning will feel good in that moment, but when I'm running behind in two hours, it won't. And so for me to just kind of balance that out, it's totally natural. And so pick one habit, and I would say sleep, hands down, pick sleep first, <laughs> and get that schedule in, in your routine always and make it non-negotiable. And the thing is, like, as hard as it is in the beginning to establish that, it gets way easier the longer you do it. Not only because it's, it, you feel the benefits, but everyone else starts to respect it too. You know, so like 
I have a client who said, oh, every night, you know, the kids aren't in bed until about 10. And then that's the only time my husband and I have together is from 10 to midnight. And then I'm up at 5 a.m. the next day. I'm like, well, you're not running on all cylinders, getting five hours of sleep. And especially if those two hours every night are spent in front of the TV where you've got a screen in your face, I'm pretty sure you're not falling asleep right at 12. So now you're looking at maybe four hours of sleep, maybe, you know, that, that's not going to be the best. So instead, you know, take one night a month or one night a week where you and your husband, like, make it a point to go out and get away from the kids and have that time so you're not compensating every single day and paying for it every day. Yeah, I see what you're saying. I think that's very important to do. You got you to gotta figure out the best way to take time for yourself and the family. So I'm, I'm curious about your morning routine. Do you get up at the same exact time every day? Pretty much, yeah. I, so, yeah, okay. <laughs> most of the time, I get up at 4.30, which is really early for most yeah, people. Yeah, that is pretty early. <laughs> But I have really big goals and I know, and I don't have kids yet. So I can only speak from the experience of being a nanny for 16 years. So I know how to work with kids, but not from being a mom. And so I don't have to worry about, you know, someone waking me up in the middle of the night or, you know, getting a call in the middle of the day from school with a kid being sick. Um, and that's, you know, why I talk a lot about you have to be really flexible, even if you have routines. But the one thing I really make sure to do is like, I know, for instance, this week on uh, Friday, I'm going to see a play at midnight and there's no way <laughs> that I'm <laughs> That's getting pretty home late for a play. <laughs> exactly. I'm not, I'm not getting home at three 30 in the morning and getting up at four 30. Mm -hmm. it's, it's just not happening. Yeah. That'd be but a little rough. I, exactly. I need seven and a half hours every night and um, I go according to REM cycles, which are 90 minutes. Um, and so I basically look at when am I going to be home and able to go to bed. So if I get home at three, I'm not going to be asleep at 3.15. You know, if I get home at three, I'll be asleep and I'll be in bed and asleep by four, maybe. And so seven and a half hours out from that, in this instance, goes beyond noon, which I won't sleep past if I can help it unless I'm sick. And so I'll go, what, how many sleep cycles can I get in before noon? And then that night, so I don't throw off my sleep schedule for the rest of the week going forward, um, what time do I need to go to bed so that I'm not kind of recuperating from this play for a month? <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah, that makes sense. I, I really like what you said about the REM cycles. You got to be, you know, very smart about how you structure your sleep, and that's important. So I want to transition our, our conversation over to something a little bit different. So I know you're, you're a serial entrepreneur. And one of the companies that you're that you're running is called Efficiency Expert, where you you kind of focus on streamlining and scaling other businesses. So what do you think that the most important part of streamlining and scaling a business is? Well, partly what we talked about, you know, mindset, kind of knowing where you're going, um, but also clarity. I mean, many entrepreneurs get so caught up in the day to day of their business that they lose sight of not only why they're doing the business and who they're serving, but they also kind of lose faith in their ability to get where they want to go because they're just so caught up in the minutia. And so having that clarity with like a vision board and having timelines is so important. You have to dream big and fully map that out in order to work backwards. Because if you don't do that, you never can answer, you know, how do I get to that goal? What needs to be done? What order does it need to be done? You know, how long will each step take? What needs to change? And I think the other thing too, especially when I'm working with my clients, is to remember not to take it personally. Like if I say, you know, you're not being efficient with this, it's not because it's something that you haven't done. Maybe you don't recognize it. You know, being in the business, it's hard to see what needs to be done on the outside of it because you're just caught up in doing it and getting the work done. 
I think that that totally makes sense. I, I like what you said about the vision board and clarity. That's that's definitely something that I'm going to look into doing. And I think that for anyone else out there who, who either has a business or you're a professional looking to grow your career, that's something that can can totally help you. And you got to you got to take time to be self-aware. I think that, you know, I don't know how you feel about this, but self-awareness is key. So thinking about what exactly you're doing, where you're going and how it all fits together. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And when I say not taking it personally, it's also with yourself, you know, so if you, you know, you see, you realize that a system that you've put in place, maybe how you deal with your email inbox, or maybe um, how quickly you respond to projects, or, you know, how you manage your time in the afternoon, like whatever it is, you see it and you realize you're not being efficient with it. You don't have to get so caught up in the personal aspect of it. It's just adapt and make changes, you know, because you can't change what you've already done. You can only implement new systems to move forward and grow. But if you hold on to your old systems, because that's the way you've always done it, you're not going to grow. Yeah, that makes sense. I think that what you said about not taking it personally is is very important because <clears throat> with regards to criticism, there's two groups of people. There are, there are fools who, when they're criticized, they'll get offended and they'll, you know, they'll put their head down and they'll cry about it. And then the, the other people, they're like, they'll say thank you. And they'll grow from it. And I think as, as an entrepreneur or a professional or anyone who wants to grow and learn, it's important to be in that second group of people. Yeah, absolutely. And I actually, I actually do something really corny when it comes to not taking things personally. If I'm speaking at an event, that's, I know, and I've recognized that that's one of my weaknesses when it comes to taking things personally at an event, because I put a lot of work into that event and I put a lot of work into my speech and to how I'm going to present and the different ways that I'm going to reach people. And so at the end of it, if someone comes up and says, you know, I really didn't enjoy that, you know, I hope that that's not the general consensus. But if one person comes up to me and says that, I actually keep a Q-tip in my pocket for quit taking it personally. And so if I feel <laughs> in that moment that I'm like, you know, I'm getting a little emotional, I'm getting too invested in the fact that this person didn't like my speech, you're never going to reach everyone, you know. And so I'll just slide my hand into my pocket and literally just like take a deep breath and be like, well, I'm sorry you feel that way. Let me know, you know, what could I have done differently? Because mm -hmm. even if it doesn't change the way that you do it, hearing their perspective on why they didn't enjoy it is really going to help you to keep that in mind going forward. That makes a lot of sense. I, I really like what you do with the, the Q-tip. I think that's a, a great way to do things. And I think that as you start doing great things, which it sounds like you're doing and you're, and you're putting out a lot of value over there and, and you get a crowd looking at you, you know, like you said, you can't satisfy everyone. There's, there's going to be haters. Yeah. There's going to be people who criticize you. And, you know, you just don't want to take that personally. It's just a part of life because you can't please everyone. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm just as susceptible as everyone when it comes to being hurt, you know, when someone says something that doesn't feel good. But, you know, if you always are just putting out kindness in response to those things or silence, I'm fine with silence too. <laughs> but if someone says something rude online and you, you know, respond with like, oh, I'm so sorry you feel that way. Hopefully we can do better for you. They really don't know what to say to that. You know, they, someone who's doing it just because they're behind the privacy of a screen and they don't have to really take ownership of what they're saying, things that they might not say to your face. You know, when you're kind to them and you're just kind of receptive to the potential that maybe they see something that you don't, even if it does hurt, you know, they really kind of just are like, oh, yeah, yeah, you're right. You know, <laughs> like it, it just diffuses it automatically. And the best part is even if they don't say anything in response, you never know that it impacted them. You're going to feel way better dealing with it with kindness than you are being reactionary and getting upset over it. I think that it's 
very important for people out there, especially people who own brands or they're managing the social media for their, for their companies, because, you know, it's not just the person who's criticizing you that that's seeing that everyone is seeing that. So if they see that you're putting out a good message or that you're level-headed about it, they're like, okay, this guy, this guy, girl, they're, they're pretty, they're pretty level-headed. So, you know, it's very important for especially business owners or entrepreneurs or, or any professional who manages, manages a Facebook page or any social media for a brand that when you receive criticism or negative complaints, you gotta, you gotta kind of kill them with kindness. You gotta be respectful because it's not just the person that's criticizing you seeing it. Everyone's seeing that. So if they see that you're level-headed, they're like, okay, they're, they're, they're pretty trustworthy. And, you know, sometimes you could be, you know, kind of, kind of creative about what you say, like make a joke or something and, you know, involving humor or, you know, sparking people's yep. emotions. If, if it's in a good way, can be good as well. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it, it, it kind of works on both sides. So if they, you know, say something that is a criticism of you and you respond with kindness, you're going to have so many people backing you up too. And then if they say something that is not a valid criticism, you know, people say stupid things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> you know, definitely. if they're saying something, you know, with the intention to be incendiary, you know, and to, to kind of cause drama and you still respond to that with kindness, it's going to have the same effect, you know, that people are still going to come to your defense basically and say, you know, you're right. And they appreciate you for sticking up for that too. Yeah, that totally makes sense. I think that you just have to think smart about it. You have to use your, your EQ and your empathy and just see the bigger picture. So I want to take this down a little bit different road. So I know you've had a a long life of, of growth and education so far, and you still have a long time to go of that, but so far, what do you think has been the biggest learning or education hurdle for you and how did you get over it? Definitely when I went to high school, when I was living on my own, because like I had mentioned, you know, the hardest thing about getting to and from school like that was getting to my classes. And I remember I had ninth grade French class and the teacher was not a nice woman. Like she had no empathy for the fact that I was doing all of this traveling. And I did fail ninth grade French, the one and only course I ever failed, but I also almost failed English, which was ironic because I've always been a writer and I've always loved to write. And the only way that I got through it was realizing that it was kind of do or die. Like I had to learn how to teach myself. And I'm sure you know um, what an autodidact is, where you at least know of it if you don't know the term. Yeah, I've heard of it. Okay, you can explain it. (laughs) Basically, it's someone who could teach themselves. Okay, yeah. And, you know, I had had so many instances where, you know, when you're in school and especially, you know, the public school system, you know, you're really reliant on memorization and how you're learning day to day and being in school. And, you know, yes, you have homework, but I don't know about you. I can't tell you a lot of what I learned in high school or middle school or anything like that. Oh, yeah, I can't Um, tell you either. Yeah, just the fundamentals. And so, you know, when you have to teach yourself, it's totally different landscape. And so I had gone for so long, just like everyone, you know, eight, nine years of schooling where I just relied on what was being taught to me. And that was what was important. And all of a sudden I was in this environment where I literally had, you know, the clothes on my back and the books in my backpack. And I had to work to make sure that I could eat every day. And so if I was going to learn in the middle of all of that chaos that was my life as a young teenager, I had to do it myself. 
And I realized there was no way that I wanted to fail ninth grade and, you know, have to kind of be held back for something that was really not in my control. And so I, I took my algebra books and actually in ninth grade, I was in algebra one and I started teaching myself all the way through algebra three. So that way, if I was living on the streets and still going to school for, you know, the rest of high school, I was like, whatever it takes, I'm going to learn this. (laughs) Um, And I did. And it was so eye opening. It was you know, the whole world opened and all of a sudden I, have you ever seen that book um, or seen the movie Matilda? Uh, I don't think I have, no. It's, it's uh, just a children's book by Raw Dahl and I read the book when I was really young and that always stuck with me because she goes back and forth to the library because her family is not well educated and not interested in reading like they eat dinner in front of the tv every night and she doesn't want to be like that and I was always a reader and I literally had the same red wagon to and from the library every day growing up and all of a sudden you know ninth grade hits and all of this chaos happens and I'm teaching myself and I realized like the library is not just this place for me to read fiction you know this is a wealth of knowledge and I was really lucky because my you know generation was the first generation to kind of take on the internet and so I remember being 17 and getting ready for college and my roommate called me and was like do you have a Facebook and I said do I have a what like, like I didn't even, know. that was so new. It was only for colleges. And so I went from, I have to teach myself to holy cow, I have this huge, you know, literally library of learning available to me to welcome to the internet, you know, and for everyone out there now, the internet is, it's vast and it's always growing and you can teach yourself anything. And so I was lucky because I learned that before the internet was a thing. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I think that's the the difference between you and many other people that I've talked to is, you know, you, you're going through the these struggles in, in early high school with, with French and English. And most people in that situation, you know, they, they want to blame it on something else and they're not accountable for it. But, you know, that's not you. And I think that can be inspiring to so many people out there because you take the situation into your, into your own hands. So you're saying that I'm not going to fail this. I'm, I'm going to punch it right in the face and I'm going to teach myself everything. No matter what, yeah. My, yeah. No matter what your situation is, you know, I think you're you're a very strong person for going through that, and I truly respect that. Thank you. I, I think everyone has it in them. I think it's just so many people go through so many hard things, and then they feel like they just can't get out of that. And that's really one of my biggest dreams is to speak and help millions of women, especially um, to learn that whatever you've been through, whatever's been done to you, that is not the end of the road for you. That is not where you need to stay. That is not where you need to live. You have the ability to grow and be and do whatever you want. But the only way you're going to do it is to take responsibility for it. And it's hard because it's like you have to also admit that anything bad that has happened to you is also partially your fault. And I don't say like, you know, as a child abuse victim, like, oh, you, you were the cause of that. But if you then become an adult and you keep getting into abusive relationships, you are choosing that you are seeking that out. And it is so hard to admit that and own that. But at the same time, as soon as you do, it's so empowering because all of a sudden your life is your own, where you go is up to you, you know, and everyone else who says like, oh, you can't do that. Or, oh, that's really difficult. Or it's like, and. (laughs) yeah and like it was going to be difficult no matter what whether you tell me it's going to be difficult or not the only difference is whether I do it yeah you're totally right I think that so many people out there like you me everyone in the world they're capable of far more than they could ever imagine and the only thing 
stopping people from from reaching that potential, whether it's their their mental potential, their intelligence, their memory, their creativity, or just what they accomplish in life. It's the limitations and the beliefs that you place on yourself. So what you got to do is you got to you got to take these beliefs and just throw them away, throw them in the garbage and set them on fire. That's what I want you to do with any beliefs you hold about what you can't do or any limitations that you place on yourself. Like if you're listening to this right now, I just want you to know that you know, you're, you're capable of far more than you could ever imagine. And it's very important for, for you to realize this and for other people to realize this. And, I, and, and Amanda, I think it's amazing what you're doing, trying to, with your, with your mission of helping millions of women, you know, get out of their struggles because so many people out there need that advice. They need that help. They need, to, they need someone to show them that they have a lot of strength within them. And, and I do truly respect that. So thank you. Yeah, thank you. I agree. <laughs> <laughs> But there, there's a whole wide world of opportunity out there for, for us to, to reach for. And like Amanda was talking about, the internet has, it has all the information that you could ever want to learn. And something really interesting came out a few days ago. So 190 of the world's top universities, they actually released 600 very valuable courses for free to the internet. And I thought that was really cool. So, you know, if, you're, if you've ever been interested in programming or, or data analysis, science, any of these topics... I know they have some like basic marketing courses that I looked at, you know, if you're interested in any of these, you know, just start taking action today and start learning. And I think there's just so much opportunity out there and the, the, the landscape of education is really changing and I think it's changing for the better. What do you think? Oh, absolutely. I mean, just to name a few, like for free resources, you can go to YouTube and find I mean, videos on almost anything. And that might just be a, a foundation. You know, if you're looking to start a business from your home doing email marketing, which is something we do, um, you know, you can go onto YouTube and just, you know, type in email marketing and it's that easy and it's totally free. You can, um, iTunes University might be where they release some of those courses that you're talking about, but that's another one that I've used that you can go on and learn from professors from all over the country, all over the world. Um, I did, you know, some of my psychology 101 courses on there and the professor was from Yale. So to think that like the internet is like this lesser quality educational tool is not true. Um, and actually, you know, when it comes to like running my business and, you know, learning more about marketing and staying current with kind of the way that people are working with productivity today, everything is online. And, you know, it just, there's so many tools out there. Udemy is another one. Udemy is, um, you know, maybe a course is like 12 or $13 and you can take a course on there and almost anything again, mm -hmm. you know, so I don't discount the value of higher education. I went to um, uh, for my bachelor's as well, and I didn't finish because I ran out of money, but I don't discount the value of it at all. And I just think that people think that that's the only avenue in order to kind of improve your status in life, and it's not. Yeah, definitely. I feel like if you're strapped for money, if you're having troubles, you know, sometimes you got to take alternate routes. So, you know, go to the internet. I think the internet is a great tool for education. If like, if you don't have the money to go to the college, what you can do is learn some really valuable skills on the internet. Then if you're really intent on going to college, use those skills to either start a business or find a job so you can make the money to go. You know, I think you just got to yeah. look at it a smart way instead of taking out loans or, or taking out, you know, crippling debt that's really going to, you know, indenture you to, to be a servant to, to the loans or the banks. And that's really not what you want. That's not what the goal of education is. But I do agree that, you know, education is the most important thing for, for finding prosperity. So I want to ask you, if you could learn anything in the world, anything at all, 
what would it be and why? Well, I have to say, first of all, you can learn anything. <laughs> I agree. I totally agree. <laughs> That's just, let's just accept that as a premise. <laughs> um, but I think next, uh, the next big thing that I really want to learn, it's weird. There are two things that are very similar, but don't sound it. Um, one would be how to code. I just think that it's fascinating. And then the other would be um, how to do, how to work in the field of architecture. And the reason why they're so similar and so intriguing to me is because I feel like these are two of the fields that really rely on both sides of the brain. So coding, yes, it's very mathematical and very logical and very organized, but what you're designing is very creative. Totally. And same thing, same thing with architecture, you know, it's math and measurements and, you know, building and you have to have a sturdy foundation, you know, you have to have weatherproofing, but it, the aesthetic of what you're building is just as important as those numbers. Yeah, I think that's kind of a, a misconception about many fields out there, especially art. A lot of people think that it's a purely right brain thing, but the, the best artists in history, like specifically Leonardo da Vinci, the paintings that he and others have created, yeah, they look beautiful, but they're also painstakingly analytical. The measures, yeah. the measurements, the dimensions, the perspectives, everything is, you know, dotted to a T. It's It's all like perfectly measured and that takes so much analytical analytical ability and it's it's true for pretty much anything out there it takes both sides of the brain you have to think from multiple perspectives so think about the the logic the order think about the colors think about everything and put it all together and that's what we're all about yeah, yeah absolutely and if you take even like a like an introductory photography course one of the things that they're going to talk about in the first week, you know, maybe the second week is about looking at your photo and dividing it up and making sure that it's balanced. Because aesthetically, even though you're looking at it artistically, it has to be what's going to be appealing to the brain too. Yeah, you're totally right. So I don't want to take up all your time today. So I think we'll start wrapping things up pretty quickly. So what I what I try to do with this podcast is there's always one specific question that I ask at the end. And it's a pretty simple one. I think it's it, I, I personally believe that it's best to leave the, the audience with kind of a, an important piece that they can take with them. So if you could leave only, only one piece of actionable advice with the audience, what would it be? I would say start reading, even if it's hard, because I know that a lot of people, they don't find reading appealing or they read slowly and they think that that is, makes it kind of a waste of time. But the thing is that's the number one way that you're going to improve your perspective on the world, that you're going to expand your horizons, that you're going to understand things more. And it's definitely more feasible than travel for a lot of people, which is another way to open your mind. But read, read, read for sure. Even with Audible, you know, if you haven't signed up with Audible before to listen to audiobooks, your first book or two books, depending on the promotion, is free. A lot of libraries today even have, um, in addition to their hard copy books, which are free, of course, with membership, you can also get audiobooks for free from them. Um, you know, and then there's also just like podcasts and stuff. So that might not be a book specifically, but reading definitely. And I would specifically recommend the book um, for anyone who just is unsatisfied with anything in their life, whether it's their finances, their opinion of themselves, their relationship, their career. I would start with the book, You Are a Badass with Jen Sincero. It talks about the law of attraction in a way that's really digestible for people. Um, and it really forces you to kind of start thinking about that personal accountability. I love that. I'm, I'm going to have to... I'm definitely going to have to check out the You Are a Badass book. I, I've heard of it. I just, I just haven't gotten around to reading it. And 
I love what you were talking about reading because I think it is so important because, you know, it was this year, probably late last year that I started reading a lot more and specifically nonfiction books. And I think that has been probably the, the biggest habit change in my life because over the past year, I've learned so much. I had, I had a little bit more time. So I decided to make use of that time. And so I read and I can easily say that, you know, over this past year by, by me starting, you know, my business with me reading and taking some online courses, I've learned more in the past year than in all my other years combined. And then I hope that that continues into the future. And if you guys start doing that as well, just imagine how much you can grow in that time period. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, they say that the number one regret of the dying when they're on their deathbed, you know, the people who are elderly, regardless of how they've gotten there, their number one regret is that they didn't take the time to live authentically and to live the life that they wanted. And for so many of us, the main thing holding us back from doing that is feeling like we can't do it, or it's not for us, or we don't have the time, or we don't have the tools. And the only way to improve your toolbox is to start reading, really. I totally agree. There, there's just so many books out there, so many opportunities. You can, you know, you can start reading books, find the best suggested books for whatever you want to do. I guarantee you that no matter what you want to do in the world, whether you want to be a basket weaver, whether you want to start a business, whether you want to be a banker or an investor, there are countless books that will help you get started. You just got to find them. And then, you know, I think it's important to also use all the resources at your fingertips. So, you know, read as many books as possible Then take courses, listen to podcasts, watch videos, you know, maybe you can listen to some songs about it. You know, I, I don't know. It depends what you want to do. I don't know if there'll be songs right. for everything, but you know, you never right, a know. Song, a song on basket weaving. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I, I don't know if there's one out there, but you never know if, if anyone finds a, a basket weaving song, feel free to send it my way or, or if you create your own, that would be great. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I love that we're inspiring this type of music. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be a whole new genre. I'm telling you. I'm on board. I'll be the first one to sign up. <laughs> wonderful. So Amanda, it was wonderful to talk to you today. I definitely learned a ton from you and I think it was extremely insightful. And I, I do think that it'll be also insightful for the audience out there. So I, I truly appreciate you coming on today. It was wonderful to have you on, on the Da Vinci Mindset podcast. Great. Thank you so much, Kenny. I really appreciated it. That's wonderful. So if our audience wants to, to find you, if they want to contact you or, or just learn more about what you're doing, where could they find you at? Yeah, so uh, I am, I'm definitely on Facebook. The page is on Facebook for theefficiencyexperts.org, where you can also go to the website, uh, www.theefficiencyexperts.org. Okay, thank you so much, Amanda. It was great to have you on today. So to everyone out there, I really hope that you learned a lot from this episode. I definitely learned a lot, and it was wonderful to have Amanda on the show. And until next time, we'll catch you guys on the next episode of the Da Vinci Mindset Podcast.